It was a beautiful, sunny summer day when before 8 a.m., a man was on the very first hole of the golf course looking forward to a great game. He was going through his pre-shot routine, you know, lining up his shot, looking at the hole, getting everything prepared, when a voice came over a speaker that said, would the gentleman on the ladies' tee please back up to the men's tee? <clears throat> the guy ignored it. He was impervious to it and kept going about his routine. The voice came a little stronger. Would the man on the ladies' tee please back up to the men's tee? He decided that he was going to totally ignore it, even though he felt every eye was focusing in upon him. He was going to do what he had to do. And finally, now rather upset, the voice over the speaker said, Would the guy on the ladies' tee please back up to the men's tee? The man looked up and said, With the guy with the microphone, kindly keep quiet while I play my second shot. And if you've ever golfed, you know all about that. <laughs> Sometimes things are not as they appear to be. Friday. We call it Good Friday now, but it wasn't so good on that day. Everything seemed to go hopefully wrong, hopelessly wrong. It was a day in which the one in whom people had placed their hope and trust was crucified, was executed. It seems as though that the religion called Christianity would not go any further, and that's what the religious leaders were hoping, and the Roman soldiers were hoping that this would put an end to any type of uprising. Good Friday was not so good, but things were not as they appeared to be. For Jesus came out of the tomb on Sunday. And now we realize that Friday was really good because Jesus on that one day paid the penalty for our sin and then secured it with his resurrection on Sunday. By the way, Easter is probably not the best name for it. I think Resurrection Sunday is a far better name. And every Sunday is the day in which we commemorate the resurrection of Christ, but especially today. This is the day, the high day in the holy Christian calendar when those who believe in Christ gather together and say, He is risen. He is risen indeed. And then we begin to see things as they really are when we view the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But a lot of people don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe it's true. I simply want to say that if you don't believe in it, if the whole world didn't believe in it, that wouldn't affect the fact. Remember John Adams when he was the defense for the, the English and the Boston Massacre, and he was actually defending those from Britain among his own colonists, but in his defense he made this astute statement. He said, facts are stubborn things. <laughs> we, we like to deny them, but whether we deny them or not, facts are stubborn things. If it's true, it's true. Daniel Moynihan, who was for many years a senator from New York from the Democratic Party, was also the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, served with four successive 
presidential administrations once said this, everyone is entitled to their own opinions, but everyone is not entitled to their own facts. Oh, I wish we could return to that in politics today. A fact is something that is true, whether you believe it or not. And my friend, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a fact. Oh, for years, people have tried to come up with some other way to explain the empty tomb and the absent body, but nothing, nothing is logical. Nothing has ever stuck. Nothing makes sense. Nothing is rational. And in fact, when you examine the facts, they're stubborn things, you have to conclude Jesus is alive. Dr. Simon Greenleaf, who was the royal professor of law at Harvard University, he examined, wrote a volume when he examined the testimony of the apostles, their testimony to the resurrection of Christ. And he observed that it would be impossible that the apostles could have persisted in affirming the truths they had narrated regarding the resurrection if Christ had not actually risen from the dead. And if they had not known this as a fact with the certainty that they knew any other fact. He concluded that the resurrection of Christ is one of the best supported events in history according to the laws of legal evidence administered in the courts of justice. One of our greatest legal minds. And then the well-known professor from Rugby College, Thomas Arnold, well-known in the realm of English literature, wrote a famous three-volume history of Rome, appointed chair of the modern history of o at Oxford, said, I have been used for many years to study histories of other times and to examine and weigh the evidence of those who have written about them, and I know of no one fact in the history of mankind which is better proved with fuller evidence of every sort to the objective inquirer than the great sign which God has given us that Christ rose again from the dead. And if we had time and chose to do so, we could spend all this hour and a few more just talking about all the evidence that's so overwhelming. We're not going to do that today. I simply want you to know Jesus is alive, and that's a fact. But now what? Or so what? What are the ramifications of the resurrection? If Jesus is alive, how then should we live? How should it impact my thinking and my doing? Well, I think there are three wonderful answers to this question. What are the ramifications of the resurrection? I'm sure there are more, but three I want to share with you this morning. They come from different authors, and we'll kind of follow them chronologically as we see them in Scripture. The first, chronologically, comes from John chapter 11. If you want to turn in your Bibles to John 11, or if you just want to look up at the screen, I'm going to have some key verses there for you. John chapter 11. This is the wonderful story of the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Mary and Martha were really good friends of Jesus, and so was their brother Lazarus. In fact, we read in early chapter 11 that Jesus loved them, loved them dearly. But Lazarus was sick, and so the sisters sent word to Jesus, come, help our brother, he's dying. We know if you pray, God's going to hear that prayer. We need your help. 
And Jesus delayed his coming intentionally. Four days delayed his coming. By the way, that's instructive for those of us who are believers to know that even though Jesus loves you and is close to you and you love him, he still allows delays in your life. He doesn't come speedily or maybe exactly when you want him to to take care of a problem. He does that with all of his favorites, by the way. (laughs) He promised Abraham a son, Isaac, and it took decades before Abraham had his son. He promised Joseph that through a dream he would be exalted. It took him 13 years in a prison before he became prime minister. Moses was called to be the emancipator of the people, the Hebrews, out of Egypt. And God promised him that, but it was 40 years later before it happened. God delights in delays because that's when he finds out who's really trusting him. And that's when you and I really grow. And that's when God really does some amazing things as we trust him. We pick up the narration in verse 17 of John 11. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. So a short distance, the populated city of Jerusalem empties itself into the little village of Bethany because this was a very popular family and people are weeping and crying and comforting the family. Usually 30 days for a morning, the first three days are just weeping. Verse 20 says, When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus in verse 21, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's a little passive-aggressive statement, the way you and I play games with people. Jesus, if you had been here, it's your fault. You have been here, you could have avoided this. And how many times we play that game with God? If only, if only, if only. Jesus, but Martha says in verse 22, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Pray, God the Father hears your prayers He will answer. Jesus responds in verse 23, Your brother is going to rise again, Martha. Martha says in verse 24, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I'm talking about something now. I want to fix now. Not in the by and by. All of us Orthodox Jews believe in a resurrection in the final day. That was taught by Daniel and predicted in the Psalms. Now this... Woman Martha had a lot of faith. She said, even now you can do something about it. But her faith wasn't very developed. Jesus responds in verse 25 with this classic verse. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now, this was something of a rebuke. Martha thought that Jesus could pray and God would answer. Jesus said, I don't even need to pray to the Father. I am the resurrection and the life. And he gives his fifth I am statement. I am the resurrection and the life. Only he who knew himself to be God could answer like this. I am 
the resurrection and life. Martha, you have good doctrine, but you don't know me. You're holding on to theory, but the personal relationship is distant and undeveloped. If you knew who I was, you would know that I carry life in myself. I am the resurrection and the life. He said, he who believes in me will live even though he dies. That's probably in one sense a direct reference to Lazarus. He's been dead for four days. And when Jesus finally goes to the grave to call him out, I love the way the old King James has it. Uh, it says, uh, behold, by this time he stinketh. <laughs> yeah, the decomposition of the body after four days would be pretty putrefying. And Jesus was about ready to roll the stone away, and everyone was aghast. But Jesus said, if you believe in me, even your brother Lazarus, even though he dies, he's going to live in about uh, 10 minutes. You just wait and see. Not in the by and by, right now. And then he made this step, statement. He who lives, he who believes in me will live even though he dies. And this sounds like double talk, frankly. And it is double talk when you understand there are two births and two deaths. Then it makes sense. We're born physically, but we have to be born spiritually. We have to be born again. That's what Jesus said in John 3. You must be born from above. It's a spiritual birth. And there are two deaths. You will die physically. And if you don't trust Jesus, you will die spiritually. It's called the second death. And now it makes sense. The one who believes in me will never die physically or, or spiritually, never die eternally. He will die physically, but he won't die forever. Why? Because the one who believes in me shares my life, and I am the resurrection, and I am the life. Martha's problem was she knew doctrine, but really didn't know Jesus. And I think this is the problem you and I often face. Oh, we have our creed right. And most of us in this room would say, yes, Jesus is alive. Easter, the resurrection is all about him conquering the grave. I believe it. But do you believe it? Last part of verse 26. Do you really believe this? Because if you did, wouldn't you change the way you live? Wouldn't you have hope in the midst of sadness? Wouldn't you be positive in the midst of a pessimistic world wouldn't you have hope instead of walking around like you're dead? You see, we need to embrace the doctrine until the doctrine embraces us. <laughs> Believe it to the place where it radically influences our life. I like what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. In verse 10, Paul already was a Christian, but he said this, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Don't you long to know Jesus that way? Know him so intimately. Know him so personally that the power of the resurrection affects the way you think every day, the way you speak, the way you relate to other people, the way you live, the way you plan. Jesus is alive, and I will live forever. And that great truth is going to color every day of my life. Do you believe this? Or do you just 
believe it? That's the question Jesus is asking, and an important pressing question it is. J.C. Ryle is right when he said, many complain of a lack of sensible comfort in their spiritual relationship with God. They don't feel the inward peace they so greatly desire. Ryle says, let them know that vague and indefinite views of Jesus are too often the cause for all of their discomfort and perplexities. The root of happy religion, says Ryle, is a clear, distinct, well-defined, biblical knowledge of Jesus Christ and a loving relationship of trust in him. To know Christ and the power of his resurrection is to cause the doubts and fears to run. The resurrection is all about victory. If you're sick, you need a doctor, not a medical book. If you're hungry, you need some food, not a menu. If you're facing death, you don't need a doctrine. You need a deliverer. You need a savior. And that's who Jesus is. It's abundantly clear in this story that the importance of personal faith in Christ cannot be overemphasized. And that when you have faith in Christ, you live forever. If the resurrection is true, he will save all who believe in him. The second thing I want to share with you is from the writing of Matthew. Matthew chapter 28. The hated tax collector who became a devoted disciple. Matthew lived in the Galilee and worked for Rome. He sat on the major road that went right on the north side of the Sea of Galilee and collected taxes to be given to the evil empire. And the Jews hated, hated Matthew with a passion. But when Jesus said to him, come, follow me, he left his lucrative career, got up from his cushy job, and followed the Savior. And he's the author of the very first gospel, the gospel with his name. He's the one who gives us the great story of the resurrection in Matthew 28. He says, After the Sabbath day, which was Friday, at the dawn of the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, Resurrection Day, Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. I love the video, you know, kind of shook. Imagine that earthquake if you would have been there that day. The women felt it as they were walking to the tomb. The soldiers felt it as they stood by the tomb. And I love the fact that the scripture says, the angel rolled the stone away and sat on it. Almost like he had an attitude. He was going to have fun with this. The Bible tells us that the soldiers were so afraid of him, they shook and became like dead men. That is, they fainted away. And the angel said to the women when they arrived, don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. Look at verse 6. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. Now the reality of the resurrection brings this ultimate consequence. If Jesus predicted on numerous occasions with great detail 
and definiteness. That he must go to Jerusalem and the religious leaders would abuse him and crucify him and bury him. And on the third day, he would rise from the dead. Well, it seems to me that everything else that he ever said must be true. If you can pull that off, everything else you say is going to be true. There were at least four occasions, I count four, some count three, where Jesus told his disciples in a matter of weeks that he was going to go to Jerusalem and die. It started in the north of Israel at Caesarea Philippi. When he said to his disciples, who do men say that I am? Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, that's right. And then the Bible tells us, this is Matthew's account in chapter 16, from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised again the third day. He told them that in Caesarea Philippi, six days later on the Mount of Transfiguration, probably on Mount Hermon, also in the north of Israel. He told them the same thing again. He travels a little further south down into the region of the Galilee near his home. He tells them a third time. Just a few days later, they travel all the way south on their way to Jerusalem, going down the Jordan River, and now they're on the east side of the Jordan in the land of Perea. He tells them the same thing again. And then he comes into Jerusalem to be crucified. Four different times he makes it clear. By the way, have you ever read the Bible and come away thinking, I don't quite understand what that just said? Well, you're in good company because Jesus told the disciples four times the same thing, and they didn't get it. It was after the resurrection that they finally went, ah, now I see what he was saying. But he said it four times, and it's recorded very clearly. And he pulled it off just as he said. You know what that means? Jesus said it best in Matthew 24. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Remember that? Why? Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. John tells us in his gospel in John chapter 1 that Jesus is the true light. In John chapter 6, Jesus is the true bread. In John chapter 15, he is the true vine. And in the book of the Revelation, chapter 3, he is called the true witness. Everything about Jesus is true. Everything. He's the most honest individual in all of history. He is filled with integrity. He is trustworthy. He's the one who made you. He's the one who died for you. He's the one who loves you. He's the one who wants to save you. He can be trusted. So what do we do? How about Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I mean, if it's true, learn it. Memorize it. Meditate upon it. Guide your life by it. The word of God is true. How do I know that? Because Jesus rose from the dead, and he's the real deal. And everything else he said is true, and I've got to embrace it. I need to have his word in my heart. There were some botanists who were studying rare flowers in the Swiss Alps. 
And they found a species they hadn't seen before. The problem is it was down dark in a little cave, too small for them to get down in. They wanted to lower one of their workers with a rope, but a full-grown man was too big. They saw a little boy playing, and they said, Son, come over here. Said, we need to get that flower down there. We can't get it. How about we tie you with, around your waist with a rope, and we lower you down into that cave so you can get the flower? And the boy said, Uh-uh. How about if we pay you? He thought for a moment and said, just a minute. And he took off running, came back with a man. He said, I'll go down in that cave on the end of a rope. If this man's holding the other end of the rope, this man's my dad, and I trust him. (laughs) That was a smart move, wasn't it? Faith is a reasonable response to the fact Faith is being placed in someone who's trustworthy. And no one in all of history is more trustworthy than Jesus Christ. Let his word dwell in you richly. So the ramifications of the resurrection, one is that he will save his own. The second is he will keep his word. Here's a third one. I find this in Acts chapter 17. And this comes from the writing of the mighty Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was speaking to the cosmopolitan city of Athens in Greece, filled with paganism. Gods on every corner, filling the marketplace were idols. On the top of the Acropolis, the well-known temple, And they had an altar to the unknown God. And Paul said, let me tell you who the unknown God is. And he preached Christ in the resurrection. He said, in God, all of us live and move and have our being. He's the father of us all. He made us all. And he has sent his son to be our savior. And he died for our sins. And then he rose up from the dead. And boy, they didn't quite understand that. And Paul concluded his sermon Verse 30, in the past, God overlooked ignorance, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent. Look at verse 31 on the screen. For he, the Father, has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He's given proof of this to all men by raising that man from the dead. The third ramification of the resurrection is that there is a day of judgment coming. Yeah, it's not a happy thought, but facts are stubborn things. How do we know this? Notice the word proof in verse 31. He has set a day. He's appointed a judge. And he's proved that this is going to take place. And the resurrection is the proof. Why? If God the Father placed the sin of the world on Jesus and God the Father turned his back on the Son while he was a sin offering, don't you think he's going to punish all those who reject his Son? And if after Jesus gave the offering for our sin and said, Father, it's finished, I've completed the offering, and the Father raised the Son up to the right hand and now has seated him at the right hand of power and authority. And as John's gospel says, the Father has given all judgment to his Son. 
Just like the Father has life in himself, so he's given life so that the Son will have life in himself. And the Father has given all authority for the Son to execute judgment. Why, if the Father has raised the Son to that place, then the resurrection proves that a day of judgment is coming. And the very next words in John's gospel are these. Everyone is going to be raised, some to life and some to death. Wow. That's sobering. The Bible tells us the response of the people in that day is much like the response of the people today. Three responses. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some sneered, some mocked, some ridiculed. I'm not sure, but as I was preaching the first service, I think someone got up and left because they didn't like what was being said. I could be wrong. But a lot of people do. In your heart, you're saying, I don't believe it. Well, facts are stubborn things. Some sneer and reject and mock and ridicule, but others say, hey, I want to hear more about this. They investigate. That was the response of some. We will hear you again. Now, maybe they're just procrastinating because that's the way we usually respond to things we don't want to uh, give in to. I'll hear about it later. The third group believed and followed Paul. Believers are followers of the risen Christ. And there are even names, some of them, Dionysius, Damaris, leading people of the city put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Oh, I know some people's minds are made up and they're not going to change. They're some people's minds are kind of like concrete, thoroughly mixed up and permanently set. And they could care less what the facts are. But Jesus is Savior to those who believe. Jesus is true in everything he's ever said. And Jesus is the coming judge. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, it's appointed unto man once to die. Did you notice all these appointments? He has set a day, Acts 17. He's appointed a judge, and now he's made an appointment for you. It's called the day of your death. And right after that, something called judgment. You say, I don't like that. I don't believe in that. I don't like it either. But it's true. How do you know? The resurrection proves the day of judgment is coming. In fact, if the resurrection is true, then Jesus will save his own. Jesus will keep his word. And Jesus will judge the world if the resurrection is true. So we've got to respond. We need to respond in faith. Eight-year-olds can be pretty harsh, especially when they have a nine-year-old in their class that doesn't quite fit in, and Philip didn't fit in. You see, Philip had Down syndrome, and you could see it in his facial features and in his slow responses. He was not like the other kids. They used to make fun of him. He was on the outside. And one Easter morning, the teacher thought that she would talk about Easter in Sunday school class and give them an object lesson. So she gave to each one of the kids an egg. You know, you've seen these plastic eggs 
the kind that have pantyhose in them. <laughs> and that's probably the first time I've ever said pantyhose in a sermon, but anyhow. <laughs> you know, that's the kind of egg, and they were given the, the egg, and they were supposed to open it up and go out and find something that spoke of new life and put it in the egg and bring it back to class. And so that's what the students did. Went out with their eggs. One student came back and opened it up, and there was a beautiful flower. And the students were impressed. And another engaging guy, a rather enterprising young man, captured a butterfly, got it in the egg, and in class opened it up, and the butterfly flew out. And the class said, ooh, that's beautiful. Third egg the teacher opened had nothing in it. The student said, that's not right. That's not fair. That's stupid. Philip stood up and said, that's my egg. I did do it. The egg is empty because the tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. <laughs> From that point on, the rest of the class took Philip in as one of their own. But poor Philip, his little body was weak and he wasn't meant long for the world. And later on that year, he died. And at the funeral of this young nine-year-old boy, there was a group of eight-year-olds who march up to the casket, not to place a flower in the empty coffin or in the open coffin, but to place a plastic egg that was symbolic of the empty tomb and the fact that Jesus is alive. My friend, Jesus is alive it's true. Because he's alive, he will save everyone who believes in him. Everything he's ever said is accurate and can be relied upon. And one day, he's coming to judge the world. The resurrection is true. Deal with it. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I ask this morning that you will speak to our hearts some may be here this morning who have never trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Oh, Lord, I pray that you will show them that you love them. This is a message of wooing the cross. The resurrection is all about life and forgiveness. But we have to receive Christ and trust him. Show them, Lord, today that you long to save every soul that will believe in you today right now, and they will never die. Then, Lord, teach us that every word you've ever spoken is true, and we need to let your word dwell in us richly so our lives are shaped by the reality of the resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.